The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There's so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. So if you've ever thought to yourself, there's got to be more than this, well, you are in the right place. Welcome to The More of God, a safe place to explore the more. All right, I am here today with Neil Laser. He's our first repeat guest. Welcome, Neil. Hey, April. I asked Neil to come and talk on a topic that is very commonly asked of Pentecostals. I get usually two questions being a Pentecostal. Number one, do you play with snakes? And number two, what is this whole deal about speaking in tongues? So I asked you because you were awesome at talking about speaking in Thank tongues. You. So go ahead. Well, I'll start with the scripture I use. It talks about tongues. This is in 1 Corinthians verse 14. It says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Or other translations say, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is, my I don't understand what I'm saying. So the most basic definition I can give of speaking in tongues is when you speak in tongues, it is your spirit getting to talk to God by speaking out loud using your physical vocal cords. That is what speaking in tongues is. It is your spirit speaking using your vocal cords. Okay, so I think people's questions are, what am I saying when I'm speaking like that? So if you look in the Bible, you can really get three kind of general categories of what people are saying when they speak in tongues. Now, when I'm talking about speaking in tongues in this context, I am not talking about the spiritual gift of tongues where God is speaking through you to other people. I'm talking about what happens when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in, in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, it says, When they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance in Acts 2.4, and then later on, it tells the content of what they were saying. It says that these people gathered around and they heard them declaring the wonderful works of God. That's what they were saying. They were speaking in languages that the, the speaker didn't know, but there were people around that could understand what they were saying. And the content of what they were saying was praise. So they were praising God. So one of the primary uses or purposes for speaking in tongues, the thing that you're saying often is actually praise. Like if you ever are in worship and you have, you're wanting to just love God and tell him how amazing he is, but your native language just is not doing justice. Because what I usually do, I'll be sitting there saying, God, you're awesome. You're awesome. I'm thinking about how awesome he is. But then I just don't have the words to express what I'm wanting to say. That is one of the main times I use my prayer language of speaking in tongues. So that's one thing you might be saying. Another thing you might be saying, it kind of goes along with that same verse. It's, um, it says they were declaring the wonderful works of God. So I use that as like you're proclaiming or you're saying some kind of truth out loud. It's kind of like making a, a declaration. You're, it's still a kind of praise, but you may be speaking out some truths of God that may, let's say they may contradict the situation you're facing. So it's a way for you to bring God's will into a situation. And then the third, so I said praise and proclamation, and the third main grouping of what you're saying is prayer. So you, it's a way to talk to God, to speak to him, to ask him things when you don't really know the right words to use. So this I take from Romans 8.26 where it says when we don't know how to pray as we ought to, the Spirit intercedes for us with, and some translations say, which groanings which cannot be uttered. Some translations say with groanings that cannot be understood. So you're saying things that your spirit knows, but your, maybe your mind doesn't know. So 
praise, prayer, and proclamation are the three main think kinds of things you'll be saying. Now, there's exceptions to that, but if you want to say, what am I saying when I'm speaking in tongues? Usually it falls into one of those three categories. Okay. So I want to take back, back a few steps. You talked about how there's a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. and there's yes. your prayer language where you're praying in tongues that's yes. related to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So can you yes. go into detail a little bit more? Because I think a lot of people have confusion about some of the different scriptures in the Bible because there's kind of different kinds of tongues. So can you explain the difference between those two? Absolutely. That is a huge area of confusion. That's a question I get asked a lot. And actually, that's the number one page hit that I have on my whole website is I have an article about the difference between speaking in tongues as a prayer language or speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift. So the easiest way I've found to explain the difference here is I use that that verse I just quoted a minute ago. It's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. It says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And then if you take that and combine it with 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, it says, when I speak in tongues, I speak to not to men, but to God. And so although the, the phrase prayer language is not really biblical, that's the one I'm using here um, to describe what you're doing. It's the gift you receive when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. You receive the ability to speak in tongues, which means that you have this ability to speak with your spirit. And you're the one, the key thing here is you're the one that initiates the prayer. So you choose when to do this and when not to. Um, We know this to be true because of the various places in Scripture where Paul and other um, New Testament writers encourage people to pray in tongues or to pray in spirit as much as they can. For example, um, in Ephesians 6.18, he says to pray in the spirit at all times, for example. If he's telling you to pray in the spirit at all times, that means you get to choose when you do it. So when you're praying in tongues as a prayer language, that means it's you talking to God. You're the one that's initiating the conversation, and God is your audience. So you are talking to God, and God is the hearer. Now, with the gift of tongues and interpretation that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible tells us that those the nine gifts mentioned there, including things like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, gifts of healings, and things like that, tongues and interpretation is in that list. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that those gifts are all manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And that means that he is the one that initiates those. And it says that when we use those, that the other people benefit. It says we use these gifts for the profit of all. So each one uses these gifts individually as the Holy Spirit gives them to the profit of us all, which means to the benefit of the people around us. So all of the gifts of the Spirit, they are initiated by the Holy Spirit. And then the audience or the target or the recipient of whatever that gift is, is always other people. So with the gift of tongues and interpretation or the gift of tongues, the Holy Spirit initiates it. You cooperate with him and then other people receive a benefit from it. This is the opposite of what happens when you're praying in tongues with your prayer language. So just to kind of summarize both of them. With your prayer language that you receive in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you initiate the the communication and you are talking to God directly. When it's the gift of tongues, God initiates it and he uses you to speak to other people. I know for me, I was kind of almost horrified by tongues when I first heard about it. I thought it was the the weirdest thing ever. 
I did not want to do it. I thought that it was very strange. I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe have been taught by their church or by somewhere else that it's evil to speak in tongues or that it's not for today. Or What would you say to them? Oh, yeah. So that was kind of the mindset of the like the church I grew up in or the people I was around. It wasn't, no one came out and said this is evil, but it was kind of like looked upon in a bad way. It was like a negative thing. And then when I was older and in different like church settings in college, that's when people were, were actually actively would say that that speaking in tongues is wrong or it's from the devil or that that passed away a long time ago or that 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 was just for the apostles and stuff like that. So again, I have to answer this with the Bible. No. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost took place, they're speaking in tongues and a crowd of people gather around. They can't understand what's going on. And they even make the comment that the people that are doing this, they must be drunk like because it was so bizarre or whatever. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and gives the first Christian sermon church, and he gets up and he says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was prophesied by Joel. And he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, and so on and so forth. And so Peter says that speaking in tongues is for the last days. He specifically says that what these people are hearing and seeing is something that God has reserved for the last days. And so since the last days are not over, then we know that this is still in effect. Now, I've had people come up and say that speaking, how do you know that speaking in tongues is real or if it's from the devil? They've been told things like this. And, you know, you can point them to scriptures like in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe maybe it's verse 39, if I remember correctly. Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So if you're ever being told speaking in tongues is bad or wrong, then that is directly contradicting Scripture. It says, don't forbid it. Now, as far as people that are concerned that if they ask for this and they're going to get, I've been told story like people would say, well, what if I speak in tongues, but it's not from God, it's from the devil or something like that which to me, that's just a bizarre question. But for that one, I go to Luke 11, where Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray. And he says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be open. Everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds, and everyone that knocks it is open to him. And then he says, if your son came up and asked you for some bread, would you give him a stone? Or if you ask him for, if your son asked you for some fish, would you give him a scorpion? And things like that. And then he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here is Jesus promising us that if we come asking for the Holy Spirit, then we can be absolutely 100% confident and certain that what we're going to receive is good and not bad. That's straight out of Luke chapter 11. Then another argument I hear is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, where there are tongues, they will cease. So I'm pulling that up in my Bible app right now. It's 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. And people say, see? Tongues will cease. And so I say, well, let's read the rest of the verses. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So tongues will cease the same time that knowledge has vanished away. So I don't believe that's happened yet either. And if we go on reading, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
And if we keep on going, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I'm also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul is saying that there's some time in the future, like right now we're in something that's imperfect, but when the perfect has come, then these things will not be around anymore. Or another way to say it is they won't be necessary. So the argument here is there were people that say, well, when the scripture was completed, when the canon of scripture was completed at the, I think it's the Council of Nicaea in like the 300s, that is when the perfect has come. But I... Really, that is a huge stretch to believe that when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, he was thinking about the Council of Nicaea. That just doesn't add up to me. When that which is perfect has come over, that, he's talking about when we will see face to face. So what he's talking about is when you are in heaven with Jesus physically with him, whatever that looks like. And when you're in that state, your spirit is in the presence of God in heaven You don't need to speak in tongues anymore. You don't need faith anymore. You don't need prophecy anymore. You don't need, so that totally makes sense. You don't need those things anymore. But Paul was not saying that tongues is only needed until we have the whole Bible. That, to me, there's just no way to prove that. One last thing I want to say is that sometimes people will say, well, speaking in tongues is only for use when you are on a mission trip and you want to speak in a in another, it's for preaching the gospel in another language. And I, I've heard stories of that happening, but I will also say that is not in the Bible. In the Bible, in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost comes, the disciples are all speaking in tongues for the very first time, and it says a crowd gathers around, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago. It says they all heard them speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God. Nobody was preaching the gospel in tongues. They were praising God. There was no gospel preaching going on. Then once the crowd had gathered, then Peter got up, and then Peter preached the gospel in in the language that everybody understood. So although I know this happens, in the Bible there's no example of people speaking in tongues in order to preach the gospel. So that just is a false argument. One thing I just wanted you to make clear, because I think is a common misconception, too, when people start talking about tongues or baptism, is that it has nothing to do with salvation when you're saved. Yeah, so the question, and this is a question that really plagued me for a long time. I did not understand. I thought that when you believe in Jesus and receive salvation, then, then you get everything at one time. And so I thought that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just another way of saying that you got saved or that it all came at the same time. And so that caused me a lot of confusion for a long time. After I had been a Christian for about 26 years is when I actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time while my wife was getting healed out of a wheelchair. And so when that happened and I spoke in tongues for the first time, um, I knew it was different because I got saved when I was eight. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was like 36, I think, something like that. So that set me on a journey to try to figure out, well, what the heck, what's the deal? So I started looking around, and I found there's a couple places where you can prove this. I'm going to pick the two that are the easiest. In Acts chapter 8, this is when um, the persecution breaks out. This is right after Stephen was stoned. 
And it says, um, I'm going to start reading Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let me skip down just in the interest of time. So verse 12, when they believed Philip and as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, if we pause right there, and if we go back to Jesus' words at the Great Commission, he says, if anyone believes and is baptized, he will be saved. That's, how, that's what Jesus said. So here in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we have a group of people that are hearing Philip preach Christ to them, and they believe in the name of Jesus, and they are baptized. So according to Jesus, that means these people have received salvation. Which means that the Holy Spirit has come. That means that the Holy Spirit has come to live in, thank you, April, that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of them. Okay? They are saved. God loves them. They're going to heaven, all that stuff. Then in verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here we see that they Philip preached Christ to them. They believed in Jesus and were baptized, and they were saved. Peter and John came down and laid hands on them that they might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we want to take into account, I think it's like 40 miles from Samaria to Jerusalem, something like that. And so from the day that these people were baptized, in order for word to get back to Jerusalem, that's probably like a day or two trip. And then for Peter and John to come back down, that's another couple of days. So the time in between when the Samaritans were saved and when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit was at least two or three or four days, which even if it's one minute, it shows you that they're not the same event. Um, the other one I won't go into detail here, but in Acts chapter 19, um, when Philip comes across the, the guys at Ephesus who were d disciples of John the Baptist, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? Now, Paul was thinking at the time that these people were Christians, and he asked them, this was his question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So in order for him to ask that question, he, he thought they were believers, but he thought they, were, they could be believers, but maybe they had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet, or else that question makes no sense. So then after that in the story, it says, they said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He says, well, what baptism did you get? And they said, we were it was John's baptism. So these guys were disciples of John, but they had not been introduced to Jesus yet. So then Paul tells them about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus, and he baptizes them in water. And then right after that, it says, he laid hands on them, and they all spoke in tongues. So they were baptized with the Holy Spirit after they believed in Jesus and after they were baptized in water. So here's another couple of places where you can see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as getting saved. So... You don't have to have tongues to go to heaven, like you said. Right. <laughs> so if somebody is kind of feeling anti-tongues, mm -hmm. they're still going to heaven. Yep. And everything's fine, and they don't have to have it. Right. But why would they want it? What would be a thing that would make them think, hmm, maybe that does sound like something I want? I usually start with um, 
whatever Jesus wants to give me, I'm sure that's something I want. And so in Acts chapter 1, I think it's starting at verse 4 or 5, when Peter, I mean, when Jesus was about to ascend and he had Peter and all the rest of the disciples there, he said, um, do not depart from Jerusalem until you receive the thing I promised, until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he told them, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So when you take a look at this, the mission that these guys were supposed to go on was to go save the world. But it was important enough to Jesus to tell them to wait before they got started until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. So Jesus had a very strong conviction that speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very important. It was more important for Peter and James and John and all of them to receive this than for them to get started on the Great Commission. So that's a very strong case right there. I mean, I don't know why I would, if it's that big of a deal to Jesus, why would I not make it the same big of a deal to myself? Coming at this from another angle, when you take a look at all the benefits that come from speaking in tongues, and I can vouch for these in my own life. But for example, when you don't know how to pray, just like it says in Romans 8, 26, a lot of times I don't know how to pray. And that's when I can speak in tongues. And I know that since what's happening when I speak in tongues is my spirit, which was born again and is now righteous and holy and pure and awesome, any prayers coming out of my spirit, I know they're right. I know they're not hampered by selfishness or whatever, whatever can hinder my prayers. So when I'm praying in tongues, that is the best prayer I can pray. So to me, that's very valuable. It also tells us in Jude 20 that when you pray in tongues, that you build up yourselves on your most holy faith. So I don't know anyone who wouldn't want their faith to be built up. And speaking in tongues is the way that God gave us to do that, or one of the ways he gave us. That right there alone is worth it. Another one is in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, um, verse 2. It says, when you pray in tongues, you do not speak to men, but to God. But in the, with your spirit, you are speaking mysteries. And in the Greek, that word mysteries there is ta- you're talking about you're speaking wisdom that was previously hidden. So you can pray God's wisdom into your situation. Another one is in Ephesians six eighteen. right? When he gets through talking about uh, put on all the armor of God, put on the whole armor of God and the the um, shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and all of those things. And at the very end of that, he says, and pray in the spirit at all times. If if this is not important, why is that all over the place? Why is that? Why did he say that? Why is he telling them that so urgently? Why did he tell them not to forbid speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14? Why did he say, I thank God, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He said, but all of you put together is the context there. So if Paul and Jesus had this high of opinion of this activity, I think I would be on good ground if I had the same high opinion of it. So I know a lot of people who said, well, I've prayed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I didn't really feel like anything happened and I never spoke in tongues. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to them? So a couple of things here. One misconception I come across a lot is that people think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with some kind of feeling. Like you're going to feel something. Now, sometimes it does. This is my personal experience. Um, Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. 
But nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, including any kind of feeling. It is not a feeling. You may feel something. You may not. That, if you do, that's great. I'm all about let's enjoy the presence of God whenever it's tangible to us. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. So that's the, the first thing I would say. If you're waiting on a feeling, there's no, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Something that prevented, so I go here, because the things that prevented me from receiving it was I had a lot of, I was double-minded about it myself. I had been taught that it was wrong, and then some people told me it was great. And there's all these people that I had great respect for that had a very negative opinion about tongues. So am I just supposed to throw those people out the window? Like, what do I do? And I was also confused as to whether it was something that came with salvation or not. Um, and I just had a lot of confusion. And so when I, I prayed to receive it, those were some things that were hindering me. And then I would say the biggest hindrance was that I was expecting that if I pray for this and if God wants me to have it, then he's going to take over my mouth and make me do something. And so that also is not found anywhere in the Bible. What we see instead is that people are willing to receive it and they cooperate with God. And so even in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. But it specifically says that they began. So they chose to take a leap of faith and receive this thing that God was offering them. So for me personally, the thing that really got me over the hump was the person that prayed for me to receive it told me, don't try to figure it out, just speak. And so when I took that step of faith and I just started to speak whatever syllables and sounds were coming to my mind, that is when it happened. That's when I received it. But all the other times where, um, you know, I had gone up for prayer and there was various levels of craziness involved in that prayer time, you know, people in a circle around you shouting and all this other kind of stuff or whatever, all those times I was standing there waiting for God to take over my body. But um, I don't believe God operates like that. I believe he's a gentleman. I believe he will meet you where you're at. So when I decided to take my step out of the boat, he made sure that the water held me up when my foot hit the water. So that's how I look at that. So if you have prayed for it before and for some reason and you don't think anything happened, that doesn't mean God is holding it back from you. That may me that means there's probably some confusion or something you're expecting that that you shouldn't be expecting. Um, sometimes you have to take a step and go for it. So that would be my main advice there. What does it feel like to speak in tongues? I, I love this question because I remember thinking myself that if it happened, I would be in some sort of trance <laughs> <laughs> or completely oblivious to my surroundings. Like I, I had this, like you said, an expectation that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and God can do things like that, sure but, but that's not how it was for me. And so what, what does it feel like? Do you feel like you're doing something supernatural every single time you're doing it? This is a fantastic question. The best analogy I have is that it feels like you're surfing. You are staying on the board, but you are not creating the waves. Like you are going along with it and participating in this flow, and you can get in or out of it whenever you want to. But once you're in that flow, you know you're, it's not just your brain that's coming up with this stuff. Now, when you're praying in tongues, you may, you may not feel anything 
or you may feel completely overwhelmed with the power of God either way, and it all points in between. Sometimes I can tell what I'm praying for based on how I'm feeling when I do it. Because, like, let's say I'm, I am praying in tongues, and I start feeling like very, like a police officer, like shouting at a criminal, or not shouting, but like being very forceful. I can tell that I'm doing some kind of warfare with my prayer language, like he talks about in Ephesians six eighteen. Um, sometimes when I'm praying in tongues. It feel I can tell that I'm asking questions. I can tell that I'm asking for something. Sometimes when I'm praying in tongues, I know that I'm worshiping God. Sometimes when I'm praying in tongues, I can tell that I am speaking God's truth out of my mouth. This, like examples of this, is like sometimes when I walk around my neighborhood and I pray over my neighborhood and I start praying in tongues, I can tell that I'm speaking out some of God's will in my neighborhood. I'm not asking Him for things and I'm not necessarily doing warfare i'm just speaking his will i can just tell by the way i i don't by the way i'm conducting myself it's hard to explain but if you go back to that thing where you feel like you're surfing you have to get up on the board and ride it but you are not creating the waves you're riding on that's the best analogy i can come up with for it so i think sometimes too if the devil can't get you from receiving it he wants you to start doubting it so yes. have you gone through times where you've been doing it and thinking is this even real or cuz people i think struggle a lot with they that do. i want it to yes. be real so yes to, to answer your question i have never met anyone that speaks in tongues that hasn't had that same experience but see the the problem here is that i how am i going to judge whether it's real or not like, what criteria am I going to use? Like, what am I going to base it against? How do I know if what I'm doing is real or not? And so a lot of times people will say, well, I feel like I'm just making it up. But then if you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 14, the verse we started with, it says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding or my mind is unfruitful. So that tells me that when you're praying in tongues, your mind doesn't necessarily like it. And so... If you're praying in tongues and you're sitting there trying to figure out whether this is real or not, or you're thinking it's stupid, then that's when you know you're doing it right. If you were just making it up, your brain wouldn't be having that same issue. But your brain is saying, what's happening here? Your, your facilities of logic and reason are trying to shut that down because you know, your brain likes to be in charge. But when you're praying in tongues, your brain is not going to like it usually. So if you're having trouble with that, some of the things I found that are helpful is that um, do something that kind of has your mind engaged while you're speaking in tongues. So like listen to some music kind of loud so you're not analyzing all your syllables. Or do some housework and speak in tongues while you're folding towels or, or whatever. So anyway, that's totally normal and everybody goes through that. So you just reminded me, too, of some people will say, well, I started to speak, but it was just one or two syllables, and is that right? That doesn't seem like a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so I'm going to tell a funny story here. So, well, let me, let me say it this way. If you turn on your TV and turn on a movie that's Chinese or Japanese or some language that you don't speak, and you just listen to what they're saying, you're going to think they're saying the same thing over and over. It just sounds like they're just saying a bunch of gibberish or they're just saying the same thing over and over. So that proves that your ability to judge whether something is a real language or not, when it's a language that you don't know, you don't have the ability to, to know whether it's real or not. So I would just throw that out the window. But also, there in the Bible, there are, um, 
there are angels that surround the throne of God and throughout eternity past and eternity future, well, not eternity past, but ever since they've been created, they're surrounding the throne of God. And all they say all the time is holy, holy, holy. So they're saying one word the whole time. And so maybe when you first start speaking in tongues, you're saying holy, holy, holy all the time in some other language. Or maybe you're saying I love Jesus. Or maybe you're saying God is awesome. And maybe you're saying that over and over. But there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. That just means that's what needs to be said right now. Um, and we talked a lot about praying in the prayer language tongues. But can you also just address really quick, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how that would operate in a church setting? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, instructions for that are given in 1 Corinthians 14. And basically the idea here is, now 1 Corinthians 14 is written for a setting where there's a small group of people. It's like people meeting in a home. It's not meant for like a group of three or 400 people. So you got to make take that into account if you're trying to apply this in a, a setting where the instructions were not written for. But when you're in a, a, a group of people and the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish something, the way the gifts of the Spirit work is that he will choose someone in that setting and he will give them something. And they have to receive it and take a step of faith and act on whatever he's telling them to do. So if it's speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit may instruct you and and there's a variety of ways that he does this, but he can instruct you to speak up, to stand up and speak in your to speak in tongues. Or, no, you don't have to stand up, but just to speak in tongues out loud. When you do that, it's a step of faith, and you are trusting that when you do that, that God wants something to happen out of that. The same way, if He gives you a word of knowledge or wants you to give a word of prophecy or something, like that, it's a step of faith. You're doing what God's telling you to do the best you knew how. And then in a group setting, often what will happen is God will give someone else the interpretation of what was just said. He may give it to the same person that spoke in tongues, or he may give it to someone else. And so when they, when they, they also have to take a step of faith and say, this is what, that, what was just said when that person spoke in tongues, and they get up and give the interpretation, the end result is that God has just been able to speak to his people through his people. So that's, that's the use of tongues and interpretation in a group setting. Now, I believe there's other times where the gift of tongues operates. Now, I'm not talking about your prayer language, but um, I have seen examples where we're in a group and we're praying for someone, and then someone in the group, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they start praying in tongues in a way that's outside of their normal prayer language, and it causes things to happen. It causes usually unusual things to happen. Well, I guess all of this stuff is unusual. So, But anyway, so that can use to kick off some other things. But the, the idea here is that you are having some sense that the Holy Spirit wants you to speak in tongues out loud in the group. And when you do it, some part of God's will happens. And oftentimes that includes someone else receiving interpretation of what you just said. And, and that's when people are talking about in the Bible, you know, this should not be done without an interpreter. I think sometimes a lot of times people will, will say somebody's praying in the prayer language, there's no interpreter, so that should be shut down. Yep. So that that is uh, the result of misunderstanding First Corinthians fourteen. So with the if you take the, into in consideration the context, the idea is that these people have just gotten saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they feel like that when we get together, we're all speaking tongues as loud as we can in the same room or something like that. He's trying to tell them the right time to use the right tool. So at the very beginning of that chapter, he says that when someone speaks in tongues. They do not speak to men, but they speak to God. 
Okay? So if you're praying in your prayer language, nobody needs an interpretation because they're not the one you're talking to. Okay? So if you're praying in your prayer language in a setting where this is okay, and someone says, well, you need an interpretation or you shouldn't be doing that, then you can just say, well, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. Also, it is inappropriate for me, just like, let's say I'm in the middle of someone teaching or preaching, it would be wrong for me to get up and just start praying the Lord's Prayer right in the middle of it, right and interrupting them. Like, and in the same sense, it would be wrong for me to get up and speak in tongues at the wrong time. That's kind of like taking a good tool and using it for the wrong job. The analogy I've always used there is um, I have a frying pan that's great for making eggs, but it is terrible for washing my car. And so the tool can be great for what it's for, but when you use it for the wrong thing, it doesn't work right. So that's how I answer that question. Okay. I think we've covered most everything. Is there anything okay. else you can think of that we haven't covered that you'd like people to know about it? tongues? I would say, yeah, this is... So when you look at all the different ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself, and we've, if you look at the just the gifts of the Spirit and all that kind of stuff, you can find all of them happening all throughout the Old Testament, all the way up, except for one of them. The only one is that speaking in tongues was never in the Old Testament, and we don't have any indication that it happened before when, with Jesus or any time before the day of Pentecost. This is something God reserved for the bride of Christ. And so he has saved this up for all this time to give it to us for the season that we're now in. And when you think about, you know, how Jesus felt about this and, and kind of the ramifications of the statement I just made, speaking in tongues um, is not a side issue. It's a big deal. And when you look at the... Um, the attitude, why would Paul tell the Christians to do this as much as they can if it's not important? So I would say let's have the same level of importance on it that the Bible had, that Jesus had, that Paul had. Um, so the, I think I'm restating a point I made earlier, but that, to me that's the big deal. If you haven't received this before, I would say it is, it is worth you spending some good energy on this um, to come up with your own conclusions. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would add to the end. And that it's for all believers. Yes, it is for all believers. So can I take a minute on that? Every time in the Bible where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was made available, everyone that was present that wanted it received it. So it tells us, and the best example of this is at the day of Pentecost, it says there was the the, uh, the disciples were there. There was actually, it says, probably about 120 people there in the upper room when this took place. And it says that they all spoke in tongues. And so when you go through and you look at the different places in the Bible where people, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is received by people, it always ha it's everyone that's present. It's always available to everyone. And another misconception, if I may, another misconception I used to have was that this was some kind of a, um, a reward for years of Christian service or you've reached a certain level of piety or whatever confusion I had. That's pathetic. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, then I, f I found the story of, of Cornelius. Um, when Peter came to Cornelius' house. And when Peter walked in the door to Cornelius' house in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter, uh, Cornelius was a Gentile. He had never heard of Jesus. An angel had told him to send for Peter. And when Peter walks in the door, Cornelius and all of them are trying to worship Peter. And Peter says, get up. I'm a man just like you. And then he tells them about Jesus. And so they hear about Jesus. And then seconds later, they all get baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So Cornelius had been a Christian for about one second, 
He had never heard of Jesus 10 minutes earlier. He didn't even know any better than to worship Peter. So we, we, because of that, the only requirement or the only prerequisite to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you have been a Christian for at least one second. So if you've ever had the misconception that you're waiting on something or you've got to reach some kind of level, that's false. You're ready right now. If you are a Christian, then this is for you. I would love if you would just close in prayer for people listening. That's sure. great. So, Father, I just speak a blessing over everybody listening to this. Lord, I pray they would feel your peace, Lord, your presence right now. Lord, um, Holy Spirit, you are the one that guides us into all truth and teaches us all things, just like Jesus said. So if there's anyone listening to this who's had confusion in this area, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just turn on some light bulbs and show them any areas where they maybe have believed something that was incorrect or any where they were confused. Lord, I pray you bring, bring clarity. And for anyone that has prayed to receive this before but didn't feel like anything happened, Lord, I just pray for energy for them, Lord, a renewed hope, a renewed excitement, and that you would bring someone across their path to lead them to receive this. And so, Father, I thank you for giving this to us. Lord, your gifts are very good, Lord. We love them. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the More of God podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and the way he's working in our world today, I'd love for you to check out my website. It's www.themoreofgod.org. And if you've got a great story about the Holy Spirit and how he's worked in your life, I would love to hear it. Please go to the website contact form and drop me a little bit about what's happened in your life. And I'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Thanks so much.